Well, today we are continuing our journey in Genesis. See, it sounds good, doesn't it? Journey, except they start with two different letters. But anyway, so we're up to a very important uh, chapter that once again is uh, what most people find important in it is not necessarily what's important about it. And uh, we uh, certainly want to uh, get this. This is another one of those uh, lessons. The Jacob and Esau story continues. The saga continues of Jacob and Esau. We uh, have been with them in the womb, so to speak, sort of, right? Experiencing the struggle, right, from the very get-go of uh, their lives, right? Uh, They were in a struggle, uh, and uh, then uh, we see that when they uh, grow up, uh, they have a struggle uh, for the birthright, okay? And, uh, and now we come to this uh, famous story where, once again, there is a, a, uh, a struggle. That is the theme of these stories, the theme of these uh, historical narratives uh, that explains to us that the formation of the children of Israel was not a simple thing. It was not easy. Uh, it was messy. Uh, it, it involved uh, you know, things that we, we might question. How could a, a person do a, a, you know, a certain thing? But the, the wonderful thing is, as you see, God never condemns the struggle. It's, it, you know, it, is a, it is a marvelous thing when you read it in, with those pair of eyes, you know, as the text unfolds that God never condemns the struggle. Uh, the commentators who write books about these passages condemn the struggle all the time, okay? Uh, but God does not condemn the struggle. So here, once again, the third struggle of Jacob, I guess you could say it like this. And uh, uh, it really begins uh, in verse 34 of chapter 26, not really the beginning of chapter 27, uh, I would suggest that the uh, chapter begins two verses too, too late. <laughs> okay, so beginning in verse 34 of chapter uh, 26. And when Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, the daughter of Biri the Hittite, and Basimeth, the daughter of Elon the Hittite. And they brought grief to Isaac and Rebekah. Okay? Now, by the way, uh, if you go over to chapter 28... For just a second, at the, the really this whole story ends at the in verses uh, eight and well, the, the first eight verses of chapter uh, twenty-eight. So what's interesting is what you read in verse eight and nine. So think about what you just read. What we just read at the very end of chapter uh, twenty-six about uh, Esau and who he marries, and they brought grief to Isaac and Rebekah. And then you go to, like, so to speak, the end of the story, you read, So Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan displeased his father Isaac, and Esau went to Ishmael and married, besides the wives that he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, and sister of Nebaioth. Right? So it's very interesting that this story of Jacob's deception is sandwiched in between two statements about Esau, 
that speak about him marrying foreign women. That's important uh, to, to understand. It's going to help us in, in uh, the, what we're going to read here now. So now chapter 27. Okay. You know the story, but we'll read a portion of it. Now it came about when Isaac was old and his eyes were too dim to see, that he called his older son Esau and said to him, My son, and he said to him, Here I am. And Isaac said, Behold, now I am old and I do not know the, the day of my death. Now then, please take your gear, your quiver and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me and prepare a savory dish for me such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat and that my soul may bless you before I die. Okay, so remember that uh, the, the birthright that, uh, uh, that was not uh, valued by uh, Esau, all right, uh, Jacob now, now has. And remember what we said in that story, right? Usually, oh, that Jacob, look what he does. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, so Esau despised his birthright. That's the lesson from the Bible, okay? So Esau despised the birthright. So the birthright was a blessing that God, that the father gives to the older son. Certainly in that culture, it had to do with the distribution of land, you know, and, uh, and, and inheritance and you know, and, and, things, uh, and, and things of that nature. So Isaac, the man of peace, right? He says, I'm going to die. Okay, my oldest son, go hunt some game, make me a meal, and I'm going to bless you. This is like a, a great family moment, right? That, that Isaac uh, uh, wants to do. Now, we have to remember that when they were in the womb, God spoke to Rebekah. And said that the older shall serve the younger. Evidently, we don't know this, but it just seems from the evidence of the text, Isaac is not aware of this, but Rebekah is. Okay? So it says in verse 5, And Rebekah was listening while Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game to bring home, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Behold, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, saying, Bring me some game and prepare a savory dish for me, that I may eat and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son, listen to me, Rebekah says to Jacob. Listen to me as I command you. Go now to the flock and bring me two choice kids from there, that I may prepare them as a savory dish for your father, such as he loves. Then you shall bring it to your father that he may eat, so, shall he, uh, so that he may bless you before his death. And Jacob answered his mother Rebekah, Behold, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps, so we learn a little something about it, his complexion and you know, his skin and all that. It's kind of interesting. Perhaps my father will feel me, then I shall be as a deceiver in his sight. And I shall bring upon myself a curse and not a blessing. So Jacob balks at Rebekah's command. He doesn't want to do it. Okay? But his mother said to him, Your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go get them for me. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother. And his mother made savory food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her elder son, which were with her in the house, 
and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins on the kids and so on and so forth. She, she, she made it like she made sure that Jacob would be like Esau and that Jacob would go and prepare, uh, Jacob would go in and pretend that he's Esau and receive the blessing, right? Uh, and, uh, and so uh, he goes in, right? Uh, and Isaac is kind of, how did you get back so quick? Right? Uh, and uh, because the Lord your God caused it to happen to me. So Jacob is saying, he goes back to like the, the you know, it's like the last resort thing to say, right? We all do this. But God made it happen. You know? How did I get? God made it happen. Okay. Then Isaac says to Jacob, come close. I want to feel you, whether you're really, you know, he's having doubts. Maybe, you know, maybe it's the voice. Uh, I don't know what it is, right? But he, uh, but he asks him to come close. Jacob comes close, right? Uh, and he, he's confused. I, Isaac is confused. He hears Jacob, but it feels like Esau, right? And so he says, are you, in verse 24, are you really my son Esau? And he says, I am, right? Uh, and so he eats and he drinks, and then he comes close, and Isaac is thinking that he is blessing Esau, but he is blessing Jacob. And he says, see the smell of my son. It is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Now may God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and abundance of grain and new wine. May people serve you, nations bow down to you, be master of your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed are those who curse you, and blessed are those who, uh, who bless you. This, I'm going to suggest, is not the blessing that was handed down from Abraham to Isaac and from Isaac to Jacob. This is the blessing on the firstborn. Okay, So I'm, I'm suggesting to us that the birthright blessing is not the covenant that is handed down from Abraham to Isaac and Isaac to Jacob. Okay? All right. That's, that's important. So then Esau comes back. He's been out. He's hunted. He has the game. He's ready to go. And his father says in verse 32, who are you? And he says, I'm, what do you mean, who am I? You know, I'm your firstborn, Esau. And so now Isaac, it says he trembled violently. Who was he then that, that hunted? Who, what happened? <laughs> you know, uh, and, and the one who I blessed. And so when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said, bless me, even also my father. And he said, your brother, and he said, your brother came deceitfully and has taken away your blessing. Okay. Then he said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me two times. He took away my birthright and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. And he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? And so, remember now, it is Esau who says his name has, uh, is, is, he not, is he not rightly named Jacob, for he has supplanted me these two times, okay? That is Esau uh, uh, speaking. It is not like, you don't read, uh, and he was named Jacob because uh, he uh, took away his brother's blessing, right? This is in the narrative. This is Esau speaking, all right? 
Uh, and so Esau is uh, uh, very upset, uh, and he does say to him, uh, Isaac does say to him, Behold, away from the fertility of the, of the earth shall be your dwelling, and away from the dew of heaven from above. And by your sword you shall live, and your brother you shall serve. But it shall come about when you become restless that you shall break the yoke, his yoke from your neck. So Esau bore a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near, then I will kill my brother uh, Jacob. Rebekah hears this and now is beside herself. And now she and Isaac, now that they, they realize that Esau is going to kill Jacob, tell him to get out of town, right? Uh, we read in verse 46, Rebekah said to Isaac, I am tired of living because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife from the daughters of Heth, like these from the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? So she tells Isaac this to get Jacob out of town, right? So Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and, and uh, tells him, that, you know, uh, not to take a daughter from, from Canaan. Go to Padam Aram, go to the old country, and we'll look at that next time. So, so here you have this story, the story of deception, the story of of um, uh, Rebecca, who is a primary character in this story. The, the mover of this story is Rebecca. Okay? Uh, she knows that Jacob is the child of promise. She knows that Jacob is the child of blessing. But the situation looks like Esau is going to uh, usurp what God told her is going to happen, right? And so uh, we see that once again, just like we saw in Abraham's life, in Isaac's life, and in Sarah's life, we now see in Rebekah's life. They all have this in common. They know what the right thing is, but they take matters into their own hands in order to try to protect the promise. Okay? We've talked about the others already. She overhears... Isaac, and she concocts a plan for Jacob to get to blessing, right? She's not really, we could say, trusting God, but rather her own instinct and her own plans. So in this case, we see what happens. Jacob reluctantly goes ahead and does it, does the deed, deceives Isaac, right? Uh, and, uh, and he receives this, uh, this blessing. Uh, it doesn't say anything here about, you know, being a blessing to the nations and, uh, or that, you, you know, your children will be over the face of the earth, all the things that are part of the Abrahamic uh, covenantal uh, blessing. But nevertheless, uh, Jacob uh, does what she tells him to do, uh, and now a price is going to be paid, all right? Uh, the price is, is that we uh, really don't hear from Rebecca anymore. In the scripture, she's like, done. And the saddest thing of all is she's never going to see Jacob again. This is what happens, okay? Uh, and Jacob, for his part, now is not going to see his mother again. Goes both ways. Or, or his father. And he's going to be in Mesopotamia for about 20 years before he comes back. And he's uh, going to uh, uh, pay a price there. 
And so it's a difficult road for Jacob. It is interesting that the text, you know, the voice of God or the narrator, when I say the text, the voice of God nor the narrator condemns Jacob in, in this, okay? Only people who write books about it that do that, okay? But the voice of God nor the narrator condemns Jacob. We just see what happens in this struggle. That's why I will say God does not condemn the struggle, The struggle all has to do with the blessing of God. It's not about trying to be obedient or trying to be disobedient or running away from God. The only person who runs away from God in this entire story is who? Esau. Okay? At the beginning of the narrative and at the very end of the narrative, we see what Esau does. He marries outside of the covenant. Okay? Uh, He marries outside of the covenant. That's what Esau does. Jacob is struggling for the blessing. Jacob, yes, pays a price, but with Jacob, there's no thought of leaving the covenant. There's, there's, he's struggling to stay in, you might say. So he's not condemned. He's struggling to stay in. And this, the, the main lesson for us is not about... I don't tell lies. I mean, that's true. You know, those things are true. I, you know, and, and all of that. But that's not what the story is about. The story is about the struggle. The story is about that Jacob is caught between different forces of authority, right? I, and, and it is a terrific struggle. I, and he pays a price by following what his mother tells him to do. This does not mean Jacob is a bad man. That's why, I'm gonna tell, that's why the, the text doesn't condemn him. Jacob is not a bad man. He is a godly man who is struggling. And what we, what we learn, you know, in, in the, the big story of Genesis is that these people were in the covenant and they struggled to stay in. And God, how, how did they stay in? They stayed in because God made sure they stayed in. Now, what did they do on the, on the negative side? They didn't take the proper precautions. They didn't guard themselves, right? They got themselves into trouble, but they stayed in and because God kept them in. It's, about, it's all about the faithfulness of God. God is the hero of the story of Genesis. God makes sure that nothing ruins the promise. See? Uh, because these, these are people like you and I, the, the family, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Sarah, and Rebecca, you know, and then Rachel, and Leah, and, and the other sons, and, you know, and all that. And we'll see that we know there's more struggles to come. There's struggles for Jacob in Mesopotamia. There's going to be a struggle with Joseph, Joseph and his brothers, uh, you know. And what is marvelous, at the very end of the story of, of Genesis, at the very end, in the epilogue at the, at the very end, it's like you have this a family uh, restoration at the, at the end of the story. You have this great family restoration, right? And we read, you know, what, what was meant for evil, God meant for good. And, and that's, that's what we're seeing here. The struggle, the family struggle, the struggle to stay in the covenant, being caught between different forces. Can you imagine being Jacob here? What's Jacob supposed to do? You know, does he say to his mother, no, I'm not going to do it? Or does, does he obey what she says? 
he obeys his mother. Now, yes, we could say, well, you know, there's lessons to be learned there that you don't obey, you know, if someone wants you to sin. And that's true. I'll say that that's true. But that's not what the narrative is about, you know. That's not what the story is about. Uh, It is about the struggle. And I will say that all who love God will struggle. For all of us, there's always moments where we have to choose to stay in. Esau did not choose to stay in, but Jacob chose to stay in, and Jacob paid a price. Uh, Jacob paid a price uh, for it, okay? Now, uh, you know, sometimes in our struggle, let's, let's say for, let's, let's talk about this uh, Jacob and Rebecca thing, okay? You could make an argument that Jacob should have said no to Rebecca, Okay? That's why, isn't it, it's a fascinating story because it kind of has lots of loose ends. Jacob could have said no uh, to Rebecca. And, you know, Jacob, in a, in a different way, shape, and form, would have received, uh, would have received the blessing because we, we know that from the promise that God made to Rebecca. But, you know, all of us in our own lives face these struggles that are not so easily uh, fig- uh, figured out. You know, uh, what, what do I do? do? What decision do I make, right? And the, the wonderful thing I will say about the Jacob story, in the worst case, in the worst way of looking at this, I'll say, Jacob deceived his father. He did, okay? Yes, he did. But God is so faithful that he doesn't do away with him. God is so faithful that he he doesn't even remove the blessing from him. God is so faithful that he not only receives the blessing from Isaac, but on top of it, he gets the other blessing. Even though he did what he did. Yes, indeed, no covering it up, right? And so God understands the struggle. He understands the temptation, you know? Don't we read in the book of Hebrews that Yeshua, you know, faced every temptation and struggle that we face ourselves, right? So he he can appreciate it. He can understand it, right? He absolutely does. And so uh, if we are facing that struggle today, recognize that God is not condemning you for facing the struggle, but he has provided what? He's provided the way out of the struggle. He has promised uh, a blessing. He has a promised favor when we stick with it. When we stick with it, you know? Uh, it's kind of interesting. There's a similar lesson from an entirely different portion. Uh, our Torah portion, actually. Korah, you know? If you turn there for a second in the book of uh, Numbers, here's something that Rebecca needed. It would have been very helpful if Rebecca had understood this. So, you know, in uh, chapter 16 of Numbers, Korah, he's a Levite, right? And uh, he is um, uh, there in, in the wilderness. And, you know, they've been going for a while. And he knows the promise of a land uh, of milk and honey. He knows what the promise is. And, you know, he's come to this place, and other people have come to this place, where they're saying, enough already. We've been out here. When are we going to see uh, uh, this land of milk and honey? 
And, you know, Moses, you've been leading us long. Who made you a boss? Well, of course, God did. But, you know, uh, this becomes a Korah's issue, right? So it's very interesting. At the beginning of the passage, it looks like it's just like a case of insurrection. You know, a case of uh, uh, we want, uh, uh, he wants to be the leader. But it's deeper than that, okay? If you go down to verse, in Numbers uh, 16, in verse 14, uh, no, verse 12, verse 12. It says, Then Moses sent a summons to Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and they said, We will not come up. They're, they're, you know, Moses, uh, God tells Moses to tell them to come, come up, and, but they said, We're not doing what you say, Moses. Then in verse 13 it says, is it not enough that you have brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to have us die in the wilderness, but you also lord it over us? Indeed, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, nor have you given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. Would you put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. And so what is the problem? Korah uh, and, uh, and company... Their expectations of what God is going to do and when he's going to do it are not met. Their expectations of what God is going to do and when he's going to do it are not met. Rebecca has certain expectations of, what, of what's going to be with Jacob, and it doesn't seem to be coming to pass. And so she concocts a plan to make it happen, right? Korah, uh, in a sense, concocts a plan to either go back to Egypt, which was probably the plan, or just uh, become the leader himself in order to get them uh, to the land of milk and honey. So basically what happens is, is that Rebecca and Korah lose their vision of what God has promised and only see what's right in front of them and then try to figure it out themselves and both fail miserably with lots of um, residual effects, with lots of consequences, Okay. So it's important for us, I think very important for us, because we all face these kinds of struggles, to, uh, to remember what God says about how things come to pass. You know, uh, Habakkuk, the prophet Habakkuk, who I know that some pronounce Habakkuk, but I don't think that's what it says in Hebrew. Anyway, uh, you know, he begins his uh, oracle with, How long, O Lord, will I call for help and you will not hear? I know it doesn't say that he raised his hand at a fist, but that's, you know, how long, oh Lord, will I call and you will not hear? I know what, I know what's supposed to happen, but it's not happening and I don't understand why and, it, and it's bad and what are you going to do something? You know, and so God answers him, okay? He's afraid he's going over the top, you know, but God answers him uh, and uh, he tells him that, he tells him a number of things. He gives him a vision. He doesn't exactly say to us the vision, but he gives him a vision. This is what's going to happen. But he says, hang on. This is a great, a great verse. Verse 3. Okay? But the, he says, for the vision is yet for the appointed time. This is what Rebecca needed, and this is what Korah needed. They needed to hear this. Habakkuk 2, 3. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. In other words, it's for a time that has not yet come. It hastens toward the goal. It will not fail. In other words, it's barreling forward and it's not going to fail. It's coming. Okay? And then he says, though it tarries, wait for it. Which is like the opposite of it hastens toward the goal and will not fail. But he says, 
though, though it tarries, though it like takes extra time. How can it be, how can it hasten toward the goal but take extra time? Wait for it. I will suggest that one is from the point of view of God and, and the other is from the point of view of uh, everybody else. You know, from the heavenlies, it's happening and it's not going to fail. But from Habakkuk's point of view and our point of view, it's taking forever, right? When is it going to happen, right? And so God says, though it tarries, wait, wait, it's coming. The deliverance is coming. Hang on. Don't do anything stupid, <laughs> right? Hang on, all right? Rebecca, hang on. Don't worry about what, uh, what Isaac told uh, Esau. Hang on, right? Korah, hang on. Wait, it's going to come. Hang on, for it will certainly come. It will not delay. It's going to happen at the appointed time. Not necessarily my time, but at the appointed time. And then God tells Habakkuk what to do in the meantime. And what he tells him to do in the meantime is one of the most famous verses in the Bible. Really? Yep. It says in verse four, the very next verse, Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him. But the righteous will live by faith or by faithfulness, literally. Okay? You know where it says, you know, you read that in Romans and you read it in Hebrews, right? The righteous will live by faith, Right? Uh, but literally, it is the righteous will live by faithfulness. What he's saying is, while you're waiting, it's not going to delay, but wait for it. In the meantime, the proud one is all wrong. His soul is not right within him. But the one who's righteous, the one who's in covenant, the one who belongs to God, will live faithfully and just keep going. Okay? And I will suggest that even in the New Covenant scriptures, that what Paul is saying, and the writer of Hebrews is saying, is that you thought when the Messiah came, this is going to, you know, a new heaven and a new earth and, and everything. But you, you don't see that. You do see forgiveness, uh, reconciliation to God, the pouring out of the Ruach and all that. But wait, it's coming. The consummation of everything is coming. The righteous will live by faith. will live by trusting God. will live by faithfulness. And that's what God says to all of us. Because in one way, we're all kind of like Rebecca, and we're all kind of like Korah. We're, you know, we know the promise of God, and we know, maybe even in our own lives, uh, you know, the way God is at work in our own lives, we don't see what's supposed to happen. Wait. Hang on. Don't give up. Don't give in. Right? But recognize that what God calls us to do in the meantime is to live faithfully. That's what God says to Korah, it's what he says to Rebecca, Jacob, you and me, and Habakkuk, right? Hang on, right? And then, of course, you know, in the Brit Chadashah, we read about the struggle also, okay? We read about the struggle in a lot of places. But in Ephesians chapter 6, we'll finish with this. In Ephesians chapter 6, we read about the struggle. Certainly the New Covenant writers understood the struggle, in verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 6, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Wow, I mean, you could just stop there, you know. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. You know why he says that? He says that because while we may desire to do what's right, we all are men and women of clay feet. 
And we all have the potential, right, to go the wrong. We all have the potential to fall to a temptation. We all have the potential to do it on our own, right? We all have the potential to go off, uh, off track, right? And so he says, be strong in the Lord, not in yourself, and in the strength of his might, not in your own, okay? And then he says, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, have girding your loins with, I'll say that like three times, girded your, having girded your loins with truth, it's huge. Having girded your loins with what is true. Oh, anyway. Uh, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish the flames, the missiles of the evil one. And take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, the, the offensive weapon, right? The word of God. And so just finally, so we all face the struggle. When you read the story of, of Jacob and Esau and Isaac and Rebekah here, the family, everybody's, in, the whole family's involved here. It's a struggle. Uh, it, it is a struggle. Uh, God does not condemn the struggle, right? Uh, uh, and we see, though, that when wrong choices are made in the struggle, a price is paid, all right? But unlike Esau, who walks away, who goes and marries out of the covenant. It's what he does, right? Uh, when it comes to uh, Jacob, even though he struggles and even though he makes mistakes, even though he does wrong at his mother's request and command, uh, he is not condemned and he indeed is blessed because he sticks with it no matter what, you know? Uh, gray areas and all, he sticks with it. Right? Uh, and what do we read from Habakkuk? Stick with it. It's going to come. Live faithfully in the meantime. And then here we see uh, in uh, Ephesians, uh, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. And you know, the last thing about this armor of God without picking it apart, it's saying be prepared. Take all necessary steps to keep yourself from stumbling. You, you know what I mean? Take all the necessary steps. That's what's going on in, in, this, in this passage, you see. Be prepared, you know? And then I'll just say this because it's, uh, because I'm thinking about it. <laughs> you know, at the end of Jude, right? You're saying, how do you go from Jacob and Esau to Jude? I don't know. Okay? This is a great prayer at the end of Jude. It's a great little prayer. Okay, and it's about the struggle. Okay, and if you are having the struggle in some area of your life, memorize this prayer. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God and to the only God, our Savior, through Yeshua, Messiah, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. 
And so may we recognize uh, this, that, you know, uh, I think I've, I might have shared this the last few weeks, uh, uh, that I have this little thing on my desk, if you can find it, right? Okay? <laughs> Literally, right? And it says, uh, God is willing to take, is it willing? Yeah. To take full responsibility for the life, holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy, yielded to him. He will take full responsibility. He will keep you from stumbling when you yield to him. And it is not easy. The life of Jacob was not easy, right? Habakkuk's situation, not easy. Our lives, not easy. But you see, this is the faithfulness of God who will indeed bring it to pass. And that is the story of the children of Israel. That is the story of the formation of this family. And we're only in the middle of it. We're in the middle of it. There's still more struggles to go. Uh, and, uh, and we'll see how it, all, uh, how it all unfolds. But it's very interesting. At this, is a, at this juncture in the story of Jacob's life, we see very quickly three struggles. The struggle in the womb, the struggle, the birthright struggle, and now the struggle for this blessing. And, uh, and, and it just sort of shows us this is, this is what it means to be Israel. And so let's... Uh, and this is what it means to be in covenant relationship with God. The good news, God will take full responsibility for our lives because in Messiah Yeshua, he's conquered sin and death, right? Uh, uh, he was raised from the dead. We experience the newness of life, right? God will keep you from stumbling because of uh, uh, Yeshua HaMashiach, our Lord. And so may we cling to him. Uh, and you will see then the victory. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for the promise, the ultimate promise of victory. Lord, we may not be feeling it, but God, thank you for the ultimate promise of victory. God, we pray, Lord, that we might stick with the program uh, no matter how we feel. Lord, I pray, God, that we would stick with it. I pray, Lord, that uh, we would put on the full armor of God, that we would stand firm, that we would wait for it, Lord, that we would, uh, we who are in covenant relationship, righteous, uh, we would uh, uh, walk in uh, faithfulness. Lord, I pray, God, that we might have a vision for our future, uh, unlike Korah, unlike Rebecca, who knew the future but didn't see it, didn't feel it, and so they were ready to do it on their own. Lord, I pray, God, that we would see the vision, we would stick with it, and God, have victory on the journey. We pray in Messiah's name. Amen.